0: welcome to the upper room community church podcast wherever you are in your journey we hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships to find out more visit us at upperroom.ca. good morning i'm serena i'll be reading the scripture today the passage is from acts 2 verses 42 to 47 the followers of jesus devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. So good to be with you. I have a question for you. What are the most dangerous words in the English language? Uh, in my home, they might be, I think we should stop eating meat. <laughs> or can we keep this stray cat? I think I can fix that. That's a dangerous language in my home. And mom and dad, I think I love country music. OK? You just heard everything you need to know about my family. Here's what I think the most dangerous words in the English language are. I am what I am. I am what I am. Have you said it? Have you thought it? I have. Sometimes we can say it with a little bit of a a pride. I am what I am. You know, take it or leave it. This is just who I am. Sometimes we say it sort of in despair. Like, I guess this is just what I am. I am going to be the way I am. Nothing's going to change. They're dangerous words because... Even though, you know, we can understand how, how you come to a point maybe in your life or in a season of your life or in a circumstance or in a relationship where you just sort of feel like you have, it's the only thing you can say, you can all say we've been there, they're dangerous words. Partly because there's a longing in me and probably in you to be more than I am. It actually explains a lot of what I do in life, that I'm trying to be more than I am. And I don't mean that in like a fake way, in, in the sense that I'm pursuing an idea, a vision, maybe something I can't even put words to, but that is in me to be more than the person I am today. And so if I just say I am what I am, I'm, I'm shutting off maybe whole parts of me, or there's a way that's not going to explain why I keep trying to be more than I am. There also, It's also a dangerous confession to say because... The people around me need me to be more than I am. <laughs> Even if I just want them to just be okay with the way I am all the time. Of course, I want my family to love me unconditionally and accept me, and they do, but if they really love me, they're gonna want me to be more than who I am. They want me to, be, to not be the same person 20 years from now that I was today same bad habits, the same addictions, the same unhealthy patterns of thinking, the same immaturities showing up at the same time to the point that I could be just so predictable in an argument, in a situation of stress, when things are difficult, or when they need help. You and I live in a world right now and and, you know maybe everybody feels this way in their time in history but man, does it feel like the world needs to change right now. And it's very easy for us to look at political systems or to look at the company you work for, the administration, to look at the church, capital C, or this church, or look at those things and say, they're messed up, man, they need to change. And that may be true. But before kingdoms... And countries and churches and businesses and schools can change. Men and women, young men, young women need to change. We, as people, collectively cannot just say, I am what I am. Because the world needs me and the world needs you to be more than who we are. And if we're going to actually live in the world that we want to have, it actually requires individuals to say, I'm not okay to just stay the way I am. Now what you may not have realized is that if you said yes to Jesus, you actually said yes to change. You actually said yes to become more than who you are but the dirty little secret that the church has is that we actually kind of don't expect anybody to change that crotchety old lady who's always complaining about stuff we just expect she's going to do it every week till she dies we don't expect anything's going to change That person who's super immature and kind of bleeds all over everyone wherever they are, we don't expect them actually to ever change or deal with their problems or be honest about the fact that maybe there's some decisions they could make that would set them up for a better situation a few years from now. We don't expect them to change. We don't expect them to grow up. Maybe we don't expect our husbands or our fathers to ever actually move beyond the anger or the temper that they just seem to go to. We just sort of think that's the way they are doesn't matter how much they go to church how much they read their bible how many songs or hill songs they can sing or know or whatever they have playing in their car deep down there's something in us i think even as we look at ourselves we don't really expect to change and some of that is i think because we have many of us have grown up with a faith or adopted a faith that said you are a christian if you believe these things about jesus Like, here's a bunch of propositional statements. You're a sinner. Jesus came to save you. He is Lord. He is God. And if you trust in him, you'll go to heaven one day. Do you believe that? Yes, I believe that. Okay, you are a Christian. Now, all of those things are true. But the earliest followers of Jesus would not have been able to conceive of or envision a kind of Christianity that looked like that. They were called, and they called themselves early on, followers of the way. What way? The way of Jesus. Jesus said to his, actually, first followers, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. The earliest Christians were called followers of Jesus, as in disciples, which meant to be apprentices of Jesus. Which meant that day after day, year after year, as the disciples or the apprentices of Jesus learned from him his life and his ways, year after year, over time, they would become more and more like him because that is the point of apprenticeship. Belief was not about a set of propositional statements that I say yes, I agree with or no, I don't. It is about saying I believe you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. Therefore, I will live a life after you. And so really what it means for us to be Christians, and even if you're here saying, well, I'm not a Christian or I'm not sure I'm a Christian, first of all, hopefully you'll get some clarity on what that means today, but hopefully you'll actually come to the point where you realize, wow, I think I want everybody who says they're a Christian to actually be one because the world would be better, right? If more people were like Jesus, even if you're not sure uh, who Jesus is to you and any of that yet. You should want everyone who says they are a follower of Jesus to actually follow him more closely. And that is the goal of our lives, is to stay as close to him as we can. And so these next four weeks, and actually kind of what we hope to do every September, Is do a series on what does it mean to apprentice with Jesus? Because I don't know about you, but I come out of the summer completely discombobulated and disoriented. Like, I love the sun. I love being outside. It's been like an epic summer for that. But all of my personal rhythms and practices and everything just completely go out the window. I know I'm the only person, so just bear with me. Maybe this is just for me to preach to me today, Okay. But we are saying, okay, every fall, like in a sense, can we come back to this place and saying, what does it mean to follow in the ways of Jesus? And I would actually even put a challenge out to those of you that say, I'm not sure I want to follow him yet. Do you know what? Most of his early disciples actually had that conversation with themselves every day. So don't think you have to know it all before you decide I'm going to follow you. You can actually begin to live in the ways of Jesus. And over time, Jesus himself will convince you of who he is. It's not my job or anyone else's job around you but you can actually live the way. That's what many of the disciples, if you ask, well, when did they really understand he was Lord and Savior? Well, they, they weren't sure, then they thought he was, then they forgot it all and said, no, I was wrong, he wasn't, and then they realized later. And so it was a process of learning the ways of Jesus and over time becoming convinced of who he really was. So we're going to talk about four spiritual practices over these next four weeks of the practices of apprenticeship. The things that apprentices do and things that we actually engage in which over time begin to produce something in our lives that we can never produce ourselves just by sheer willpower. Do you get that? That in a sense, the life of an apprentice is a life of training. You train to do something, you don't just try harder at it. But this is the difference, right? Saying I should try to be more loving, I should try to be more patient, I should try to be more diligent, I should try. Willpower effort alone is a sputtery engine, it won't last very long. Training, however, little things that you do over time, day after day, that turn you into somebody unrecognizable. Right? That's the pathway of the apprentice. And so that's what we're going to be talking about these next four weeks. And the, the place we're going to begin today is kind of an unlikely place. You're going to scratch your head or you're going to go, oh, really, we're starting there. It's the practice of community. Community. Community is a spiritual practice. Maybe you never thought about it that way. Gathering in community, like even we're doing now, gathering with others who are on the apprenticeship journey with you is a spiritual practice. Now, one of the reasons you don't think about church that way, and in fact, what we just think about church as being just kind of the building or a place or the one and a half hours on Sunday is because we are living in a time in history where individualism, like we primarily understand authority and identity in terms of the individual, not in terms of community. We understand authority and identity primarily from an individualistic lens, not from a communal lens. See, the Middle Ages, which is somewhere between like the 5th century and the 15th century, really for about that run, authority and identity was conceived of this. In this way, God, church, kings and nobles, self, plants, animals, objects. Okay, so we understood ourselves and understood authority in terms of God being the highest authority and the foundation of our identity. And then the church as the people of God. And then sort of kings and nobles and and systems, political systems, government underneath those things and governing people. And then plants, animals, and objects sort of on the, the, the bottom of that. But progressively, from the 15th century on, because of many things, because of the failure of leaders in the church and in government, because of the Enlightenment movement, because of the revolutions that overthrew kings and nobles and gave the opportunity for ordinary people to actually hold power because of the failure of institutions and corporations and, um, you know, the Great Depression and economic fallout, essentially all of those things, God, church, kings and nobles ultimately removed and what was left as both authority and identity was the self. Now, some of those things we can say, well, we came by it honestly, didn't we? Those things did fail us. And yet with that, we have thrown out that sense. And so we we may belong to communities like your Starbucks club or your yoga group or, you know, like whatever Facebook group you're a part of or a church. But we do not think of those as communities in which we are integrally a part. We think of them as clubs or groups which, well, they fit with what I think about myself. And so I choose to belong to them. And if suddenly they do something or change something or whatever and I don't like it anymore, I'm out because I am ultimately the one that's in charge of the way I think about my life and what I do and what I like and what I don't. And if a community doesn't line up with me, I'm not going to submit to the community because I'm the highest authority. I will just leave and find another one that works for me. And that explains a lot of what we do. It's just just a fact. I'm not even being negative about it. It's just a statement of fact of where we find ourselves in history. And we're all a part of that. We all have that default mindset, that lens of individuality. So thinking about community as a spiritual practice is difficult for us. But what's interesting is the world even is calling foul on this. I was reading an article in uh, Vox. uh, Vox is like an online news and social media kind of news outlet. And they had an interview with a a, a, a Swedish researcher who wrote the book, uh, The Happiness Fantasy. And Vox was asking him a question about this. And here is a part of the interview I snipped. Uh, He said, can we The interviewer said, can we be genuinely happy if our primary aim is self-satisfaction? Because They were talking about this whole individualistic society. And here's what Carl Sederstrom said, the researcher said, I don't think so. I think that ends where we are now with a culture of extreme individualism and extreme competitiveness and extreme isolation. I think we do end up in a situation where people feel constantly anxious, alienated, and where bonds between people are being broken down and any sense of solidarity is being crushed. I think a meaningful sense of happiness would need to be a collective one. Isn't that a Christian sort of perspective on the world? This is just a researcher looking at really trying to marry up this idea that we live in a hyper-individualistic culture and society and we are experiencing near-epidemic levels of anxiety and isolation and despair. These two things go together. He said the pursuit of happiness, of individual self-actualization is killing us. And if we are really going to find ourselves, it probably has more to do with community than it does with me and my individual pursuits. Which is to say that community is a gift from God, a spiritual practice which Jesus actually began, right? Think about this, the savior of the world did not come in and save the world by himself. What is the first thing he did in his public life to begin to change the world? He formed a community. He gathered together people. And so community becomes this great gift to you and I who are suffering under the weight of living in a world where it's all about me, but it's also all up to me. And if I fail, I'm alone. Community is this gift saying this is a practice. If you engage in this practice day after day, week after week, year after year, you will become the me you want to be. Actually, the person that is in your heart, the person that God has made you to be. And the passage that was read for us by Serena describes. The kind of community, what does it look like when a group of people practice Community together. It's very interesting. It's in the early pages of the biography of the church. So, in the New Testament, if you find, if you ever read it, there's four biographies of Jesus Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That's the story of Jesus according to those four people. And then there's the biography of the church. In other words, how did the community of Jesus' followers, the apprentices, what were their lives like? And there's this passage early on in the book that describes kind of a summary statement of a bunch of things that happened after Jesus died and rose from the dead and launched this community. And look what, look how the writer of Acts, which is also Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, this is two-volume work, wrote it. The followers of Jesus devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Look at the words, I think I highlighted them for you there. Look at the words that describe practice. They devoted themselves. This was something they did over and over and over. It says they were all together. This was a communal practice of community. And then it says every day that the writer is trying to give you this feeling that there was something that they were so immersed in, they were immersed in community together. There were things that they practiced over and over and over again. There was a commitment to this. It was a spiritual practice for them. And when they did that and as they practiced it, look what they got in return. They they were loved they were cared for. like they, they had people who were looking out for them. They were not in isolation. They were not left to deal with their problems themselves. When they were sick, they got healing. When it says they were in all of the wonders and signs, most of them were miracles of healing and miraculous provision. And so they're having their needs met in ordinary ways just by people caring for them, people selling stuff and giving it to other people who are in the community and then in miraculous ways where like, people would get healed of diseases and have money provided for them, or have food provided for them. There was a sense of unity. That was that you, you read this passage, you feel this kind of joy constantly breaking through in this community, that they were filled with awe, that they praised God. It says they enjoyed the favor of the external community around them. In other words, the world looked favorably towards them and blessed them, and, and, and it would, they said, wow, there's something going on in this place. That little community was having an impact on the community around it. And you think, oh man, I want that. I want to be in this place where my needs are cared for and where I don't have to be the only one looking out for myself, where I'm free from this isolation, where I'm free from this anxiety that I often feel, where I'm free from sometimes the thoughts that plague me when I'm alone. And you think, well, how can I do that? Just think happy thoughts, be better, try harder. You know, take this pill, try to breathe five minutes a day, all those things, they may or may not help, but that's not what actually was producing that kind of life in this community. It was, it was the spiritual practice of community which, we were, which they were devoted to. They were devoted to teaching as they were taught together. And it's this idea that they were like being fed, right? Because the word of God is is called like bread and food for life. So they were being spiritually and emotionally and psychologically nourished as their needs were being cared for as well. That's one of the other problems in our culture is that we think that all we need is the plants, animals, and objects over which we rule. The scriptures say, no, you're not just a body with appetites. You are a mind and a soul. And you have a heart. And so we read this community being nourished and strengthened in in mind, body, soul, and spirit as they continued to be devoted to the spiritual practice of community. And if you read other parts of history, not just the scriptures, you will know that these were not easy days for the followers of Jesus. The day you got baptized was quite possibly the day that you lived under a death threat. Like there were no people that just kind of said, well, I might go to church today. Because if they saw you with those people, they would kill you because they would just assume you were one of them. Because everyone was trying to stamp these followers of Jesus out, just like they had tried to stamp Jesus out. These were not easy days for the apprentices of Jesus. So you might say, oh, it sounds so great. They thought they were going to die every time they walked to their house church. The bishops the heads of the church were the first ones to die. They were the first ones in the Colosseum that the Roman emperors would throw in. They were the ones living in the dungeon. They were writing letters, some of these written out of jails. So before we say, oh, it just sounds like this wonderful, you know, what, like, they legalized there? Why was everyone so happy? It was difficult days for the church. And yet as they continued to practice every day, God did something in them that they could have never done for themselves. That's what a spiritual practice does. You do the training, God does the changing, right? That's what's in our hands to do this training. And, you know, it's never easy. It wasn't easy for them then. It isn't easy now. In our community, in our church, we use a couple of words to describe the practice of community. One is we talk about celebrating weekly, and the other is that we group together. We celebrate weekly, and we group together. The weekly celebration is this, this gathering, where every week we meet to sing, to pray, to be taught by God's word, to experience communion, to connect together, to to know and be known. We celebrate together, and then we group together weekly. Our youth meet weekly on Friday nights. We have over 200 people in both of our congregations in in Upper Room and Bolton. I think we have 17, or Vaughn and Bolton, we have 17 home groups or something like that, that meet every week. Over 200 people that gather together. We're launching Alpha this fall, and that's something we've done every couple of years, which is a group. It is a gathering It's not about content. It's about being in community together. And it is a spiritual practice. And I can tell you, grouping together and celebrating weekly, sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's actually really difficult. There are some days where you like happen to wake up before your alarm and you feel great about going to church and your favorite outfit is clean, right? And you're having a good hair day and you think like, how did this even happen? Like, this is going to be so easy. And, and like, you know, you got a ride or somebody called you or you were hanging out with someone the night before and they said, I'll see you there. So, you know, you're going to meet someone there that you uh, hope to, or maybe there's this person you've been checking out and you really hope they'll be there. So you're really extra motivated to get there on time that you got, you got there even early for the Starbucks coffee. Some of you are like, what? There's coffee? See, I know. I can see all the coffee cups. I know which of you were on time. (laughs) Just kidding, okay? I don't... Maybe if, you, if, you have, if you're married, you have kids, like nobody fought. There was no fight the night before in the morning. Like everybody looks normal. You're at least like people, when you get there, people think, oh, they're a normal family, even though you know you're not, but it just looks like that. And they're singing the songs that you love and it's your favorite worship leader and the pastor says something that made you feel inspired and warm inside and it was just so easy. And then there are other days when you feel like your faith is hanging by a thread or you got a conflict with someone in the church that you go to and you're hoping that you don't run into them or everything in your life is blowing up everybody's fighting or your spouse doesn't want to go or perhaps your spouse is not a follower of Jesus and they're always you know kind of like why do you have to do this on Sunday morning? why do you have to leave us? or your kids are like why are you dragging us out of bed? and you get here and it just you're not feeling it and like someone's in your seat and The seat that's left for you has like, you know, a bag over it. That happens in theaters, right? And there's nothing inspiring about it. Maybe you don't know the songs, You don't like it. Or the pastor's like challenging you. You're like, come on, man. Like, I had a hard week. And it all feels difficult, right? Sometimes the practices feel amazing. Sometimes it's difficult. Same with grouping together. Sometimes you love the people that you're in home group with or that are in your youth group or there's lots of the same people in your age and people you know and you love being there. And, you know, it's like a run around like crazy night at youth. So that's like your favorite night or maybe you guys do that at home groups too. I don't know, some of you, <laughs> right? Maybe your home group, just, you just feel like, oh, it's just people just like me and I just love it. And it's my little escape and I can get there and it just feels so moving. Or maybe you just sense God's presence You're there and all just feels right and fits and then there are other groups where you're saying like i don't get any of the people in my group and i don't think they get me and i'm a bit nervous and i don't know if i want to be vulnerable it doesn't seem like anybody else is vulnerable in here and are we just pretending or what's going on or maybe you're like oh i can't like i'm just too busy i've committed to this I'm committed to that i can't you know what I, and it wasn't great last week so why do i keep going sometimes practices feel easy and natural and other times they're just painful this summer I was, our kids were up at a camp and we were up at a camp with them too and Jen and I have been there for a few years and she used to work there and so we've gotten to know a bunch of the young adults who are there and I forget that they're like 20 years younger than me so they were like, hey we're playing basketball this afternoon, we play, we play three times a week, do you want to play? I'm like, sure, you know, like thankfully my kids weren't around to look at me and go, really? And I'm just, so I just like, yeah, totally. And the one guy's like, look, I haven't played in a long time. I'm like, okay. Like, I was literally, I was like, I thought I was going to vomit. My head was exploding. 45 minutes, and there's no subs. It's four on four, full court. And I am up and down, and it was 35 out, right? So every time they're breaking, like, I mean, just like breaking between baskets, I'm running over to the Gatorade thing, like, water's, po- I'm, they must have thought, like, what is wrong with him? And then after 45 minutes, they're like, oh, that was fun. They're all high-fiving, and I'm, like, trying to, like, look somebody in the eye, dripping with sweat. They put me on a guy who's, like, six, seven. So he's just not only, he's just schooling me, like, over and over and over. And then they're like, another game? <laughs> and of course I said, yes! <laughs> because I'm not going to be the guy that says, guy, I can't do that. And, lit- like, I went back to our cabin. I slept for two and a half hours, right? And... <laughs> and I was still sweating the next day. (laughs) Like the words, I'm out of practice, the gross understatement, right? And sometimes that's what it feels like when we're trying to do something that, like I don't train for it, I don't play, I wasn't, you know, like I thought I was in decent shape, but clearly I'm not, and I'm not the 20-year version of myself. I mean, I don't know if I would have done it 20 years ago either, (laughs) right? But sometimes community feels like that. And we think, oh, I just don't feel it. You know, I used to like it. I don't really like it anymore. A couple people changed. Or there's new people now, so I don't really, you know, I don't get them. And I don't think they like my shoes. And, you know, like, right? There's all kinds of reasons for us. And if we don't realize this is a practice, that if I commit to it and I do it over and over and over again, that God does the changing while I'm doing the training. Because he said, this is a gift. The things that you want, you just can't get by trying harder. You need to train. And you do these things, and over time, over time, all of a sudden, you have a breakthrough in your life. I have had so many breakthroughs in my life that have come through community, but over a long period of time. And you never know when. You never know what Sunday. You never know what night. You never know which youth group. You never know which person, or which prayer, or which interaction is going to happen. But it is a spiritual practice. John Ortberg says it this way in his book, The Me, I Want to Be. One of the marks of the early church was their commitment to connectedness because they knew connectedness doesn't just happen. They met together every day. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Over time, however, that value began to fade. So the writer of Hebrews said, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. In other words, keep committed To community, Robert Putnam, who's a political science professor at Harvard, he wrote the book Bowling Alone, which kind of was a landmark research study on isolation, made a staggering comment. As a rough rule of thumb, if you belong to no groups, but you decide to join one, you cut your risk of dying over the next year in half. This is a physical, like a research fact. And then Artbrick says, it's difficult to imagine anyone not interested in cutting their risk of dying in half. That's why the new motto for small groups at the church where I serve is join a group or die. (laughs) Right, Tony, you can use that if you want. Right, Jesus knew something about your life. And this world, we were created as people to be in relationship. You ever wonder, like, this confusing sort of doctrine that Christians have the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit what is that even about? It is telling us that God, in and of himself, is relational and built for relationship, and that we, who are made in the image of God, crave community. And so it is a practice. It is something we actually need that deep down clearly has a physical impact on our lives, but also psychological, emotional, spiritual. And so, what does it mean for us and for you as someone to say, okay, how do I be someone in community? How do I do this? And I would just say, here's the warning for you in life. Don't, you know, they say, don't try this at home, don't try this alone. That's what you need to be thinking about yourself, about your marriage, about your life as a single person, as a divorced person, as a married person, as a new parent, as a whatever you may find yourself in. Do not try this alone. And so for some of you, the spiritual practice you just need to begin to entrench in your life is just to get here on Sundays. This isn't the sum total of what it means to be the church, but the weekly gathering is the one thing the church has not stopped doing for 2,000 years. One in seven, it is a spiritual practice to be reoriented, to be reminded about the things that we are so prone to forget. And so for some of you, if you're new or this is your first day or maybe you're just sort of new to this church or whatever, get here. Some days it will feel so easy. Some days you will scratch and claw your way in. But it is a practice which if you are committed to, Time after time after time after time, it will produce something in you that you could never do for yourself. And others of you, there's a group you need to join. For some of you, it's your youth group, and you're sort of in and out, or like your parents make you go, or parents, the kids are making you go. This is something that actually you can say, I need to be there on Friday nights. I may not know what's going to happen, or I may think I know how it's all going to go because of how it went last week, but this is a practice that you say, over time, this will begin to do something. When Jen and I look at our our sort of spiritual stories, you know, before we knew each other, and she had a period of time where she just kind of walked away from her faith, and she, by her own words, just said, like, her life was kind of in chaos. And my life was kind of in chaos in the inside, but honestly, the thing that made the difference in my life versus hers, I had a youth group. There were people in my church, my age, that I was bumbling and stumbling my way through life with. And none of us were particular, some of you are, I could cry, some of you were still here, right? We're still still together. That was a gift. And so for some of you you need to say, I don't have that. Well, get it. Get it. You cut your risk of dying in half. (laughs) (laughs) Some of you, maybe you need to make a, a commitment to a home group, or you need to make an emotional commitment to the home group that you've been physically present with. Like, you've been there, but you ain't there. You need to say, you know what? I need this. This is something. And if your group's struggling with vulnerability, go first. Be the first one to admit that what you see is not exactly what's under the surface. That this is a spiritual practice. And even if you swing and miss... I always say this to people, swing and miss nine times out of 10. It doesn't matter, even if you're in a difficult stage of life where you say, well, I'm dealing with an illness, or you know, I'm kind of feeling on my own as a single person, or my spouse doesn't want to come with me, or I've got a young kid and I don't know how I'm going to make it work. It's okay. Swing and miss nine times out of 10. You know why? Because when you're out of that stage and you actually have, do have time, you'll know what to do with it. If you give up on it today, 20 years from now, when you actually have time, it won't even be a value for you anymore. So don't stop trying. And then for some of you, Alpha is that place where you're saying, "I'm still exploring the faith, or I'm new to the faith, or I'm still trying to figure this out, or you know, I have a friend like who I think needs community, even if they don't believe in Jesus, they won't want anything to do." There was a guy who came to Alpha, and on the first, uh, and the, and he slept during the first, um, like during the sessions for the first two and a half sessions he went to, like he would come, eat, and then fall asleep. And finally, you know, they, the woman who's running the course said, I'm just curious, like, why do you come? He said, well, I'm divorced, and I'm alone. And he said, almost every meal I eat is by myself. And so he said, I just like being around the people that are here. By the fourth Alpha course, he became an apprentice of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. But this is, this is just this, this honest admission that we need community. And so if you're in that place, you know someone who is, you gotta get there. And invite the worship team to come up and lead us in response. But my simple question for you is this. There are things in your life, there are things in my life, that haven't changed for a long time. They're patterns of thinking, Their patterns of acting, their dynamics and relationships in your life, and they haven't changed for a long time. A breakthrough is waiting for you. Will you be there to get it?